Hello, Progress with Unity podcast listeners. My name is George Chilvers, and I'm going to regale you with what will probably seem an eternity of tedious reminiscences. As some of you may know, and many won't, I was born and raised in Liverpool, and for the formative years of my life, followed the Reds. That was, of course, back in the day when everyone supported the local team. Foreigners at Anfield were a couple of coaches that came from North Wales. The only out-of-town fans regularly attending Liverpool games were students from uni, a number of whom were my mates, and who still support Liverpool to this day as a result of my intervention. But that's obviously not going to be the theme of this latex-based short. I got married, moved out to Garswood. Some of you may know me by my Twitter handle, Garswood Latic, And life took over as it does. And instead of watching football, I was ferrying kids to this activity or that or visiting relatives at weekends. For many years, I didn't attend any football. But when my son got to an age of wanting to go and watch live matches, clearly getting to Anfield was almost an impossibility. You couldn't get tickets. But of course, we had latics on the doorstep. And so the roller coaster began. After a few years of us watching Hartlepool and Darlington and Rochdale at home, and still being hooked, he got a job selling programmes. My daughter had by then started coming along too, and she became a ball girl. So I was committed then to attending every home game, not that I didn't want to anyway, and to be there early. So someone suggested I contact Dave Johnson, safety officer, to sign up as a steward. Dave was a lovely guy, now sadly passed and working in the great control room in the sky. For one reason or another, I rose through the stewarding ranks, starting at first trying to keep people off the yellow lines on the St Andrew's Terrace, even when there were only ten people nearby as Latics were attacking the other end, then standing sentinel firstly at the big gates, later in the supporters' club, where my only role was to stop people going through the fire exit straight onto the terraces. I could have made a fortune with the bribes offered to me to let a group go through, but I genuinely always refused, hopefully with a smile. I then was asked to look after the turnstile operations, checking the automatic counters before and after turnstiles were open, making sure the turnstile operators had enough change, and at the end, taking the loot in a big bag to Brenda, so the day's takings could be counted. I then took up position in the tunnel. And that was great fun, being so close to the action. Kevin Keegan and Joe Royal, I remember, were there at times. I remember Peter Beardsley being ready and hyped to come on, and not understanding why everyone was in hysterics. He'd forgotten to put his shirt on and was stood there in a vest. I remember the rather tasty game against Bristol Rovers, where Bristol had four players sent off. We struggled to keep the benches apart, and at the end, it was my job to go on the pitch and escort the referee, the celebrated Kevin Lynch, from the pitch. Normally, I did that alone, but that day, a policewoman came along too. Normal procedure was to get down the tunnel as quickly as possible, but that day I told him we'd wait to let the tunnel clear. If you remember the tunnel at Springy was narrow and if full of rather irate players, it was not the place to be. He actually seemed nervous, but somehow we got Lynchy back into his room with instruction given to me that no one besides the assessor was to be allowed in. It's a wasted instruction as the assessor was there way before we were. I then spent the next half hour standing outside the ref's room and every five minutes Bristol's manager, the legendary Ian Holloway, would come down and say, I just like a word with the referee. And I'd turn him away. So Lynchy managed to escape unscathed. Many people who are listening to this, of course, know Springfield Park well. Maybe younger fans who don't. I'll be frank here. It was a bit of a dump. Home, certainly. 
evocative indeed, nostalgic undoubtedly, but by then the infrastructure was failing. There were limits on the number of fans that could be accommodated under the St Andrews. The away end was a stuff of tails. The Phoenix stand rose like a majestic Subutio stand, but the seats were uncomfortable, and some sight lines poor, and the wind whistled through, and the ground certainly wasn't suitable for the new century, with football's focus changing to safety and the match day experience. Dave Whelan had, of course, taken over the club a few years previously and promised top-level football. Many scoffed, but he put his money where his mouth was and got a new stadium for us like nothing we could ever have dreamed of. 25,000 all-seater, no obstructive views, comfortable concourses under the stands, disabled platforms and a great vista from the new retail park. I think that was when we knew he really meant business. The idea to begin with was that Latix would share the stadium with a rugby team. Oral Rugby Union, that was the plan. The Rugby League team had Central Park, so we'd have no need to share with Latix at the JJB. But such things are forgotten, and you still hear people saying that Warriors were original partners. They weren't. I won't go into the local politics here, but we all know the outcome. But the JJB was always meant to be Latix's home. On a personal basis, I was asked if I'd take the role of senior steward in the tunnel. I leapt at the chance. The stadium's first game was a friendly against Morecambe on, and here I check my notes, Sunday 1st of August 1999. There we were in our brand new stadium, discovering rapidly as a storm blew in that having a roof all round doesn't stop you from getting wet in the slightest. That's without taking account of the point towards the north end of the west stand, which had a complete torrent of water flooding from the guttering. It was actually quite a drab nil-nil affair in front of 4,020. The east stand was still unoccupied due to some sorts of problems with drainage or septic tanks or gas tanks or other such unsavoury causes. But one thing the game did give us was the opportunity to gain our ground safety certificate. The system had to work. Everyone had to know their job. Stewards were put on alert through the game with the code Head Steward to the Control Room. It was the same as at Springy, and I always had it as Ed Stewart to the control rooms, and imagine the DJ, Stewpot, trundling off to the control room to play something from the Osmonds. It was decided that, as we needed also to tick off a fire evacuation, we'd use the end of game as a mock evacuation to get people out the ground as quickly as possible. That wasn't quite so easy, as people wanted to stay and savour the new atmosphere, but hustled out of their seats by enthusiastic stewards. Of course, we got the approval and so welcomed Alex Ferguson's Man United on the following Wednesday. This was a much bigger event. 13,428 came along. Remember, the East Stand wasn't open yet. Sir Alex brought along a good team with David Beckham, Paul Scholes, Gary Neville and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They seemed impressed when they came out onto the pitch to have a first look, although I did notice someone sat on the benches, so I challenged him who he was. Apparently he was David May. Well, who knew, eh? He seemed a bit rift, not to be instantly recognised. Game finished 2-0 to United. Skulls and Solskjaer scoring. At the end of the game, I performed my usual role of escorting the referee off the pitch. But as I got back outside the changing rooms, I noticed a huddle of reporters around David Beckham. who was waving them away because he was busy. At the centre of this huddle was my daughter, now also promoted to head ball girl, who was getting Bex to sign autographs for her. The phrase, get to where water can't, was made for her. But that was that. We had a new stadium, and as we know, an amazing future lay ahead. First league game was the following Saturday against Scunthorpe, and the kick-off was delayed. 
because of crowd congestion outside. There was actually only 7,500 on, but Wiganers, being Wiganers, hadn't really got the crass concept of having to get a ticket from the ticket office, and there was no pay on the gate, so everyone turned up as usual five minutes before kick-off. But we got there eventually. Unless you were part of it, and only now see the stadium as it is 22 years on, you can't understand how exciting it all was. The JJB was an outward sign that we were no longer little Wigan with no ambition. We were going places, and what places we've been.